You're listening to the Small Business Talk podcast with Kathy Smith. Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk, episode 176. Today, my special guest is Janine Vosper, and Janine is from Personal Branding Authority Specialist. So welcome, Janine. Thank you very much, Kathy. I am very pleased to be on here today. Excellent. And the topic we've chosen for you today is why it's important to focus on the problem, not just trying to make the sale. I think we do sometimes just get caught up in that we've got to make the sale, especially when things are a bit tough. But the problem is always the answer, isn't it? The problem is definitely always the answer. A lot of people get very anxious around sales and selling and they feel if they haven't realised that they've been doing it all their lives anyway, but they're sort of thrust into a business where they are the salesperson, they feel uncomfortable, they feel anxious about annoying people or bothering people. It feels quite icky to them. It's a word that I've had quite a few of my customers use is that icky word. And when I ask them why they have these feelings, the answers are often, I don't want to bother people. I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. I don't want them not to like me. And what I realize when we sort of list a whole lot of these things out is everything is prepositioned with I. And what they're doing is they're making it about themselves and not how their product or service can solve a problem for their client. And when you switch that around, and you really focus in on the problem, then you are then the solution and you're not selling. Absolutely. And I quite often tell my customers, give people the opportunity to buy. You're not selling to them. You're just giving them opportunity to buy. And you know yourself, if you really want to buy something and you've got that product that's the perfect solution, how annoying is it when people won't let you buy? But we do that to our customers all the time. We absolutely do. And what people get confused is telling and selling. I remember with my sales teams, they were selling first aid supplies and it was about 20 sales reps that were working for me. It was the largest first aid supply company in Australia. And they'd go into businesses, they'd supply their first aid and check it out. Then they'd complain to me that that customer's just gone and bought a defibrillator and hadn't bought it off them. You know, they'd spent $3,000 on an item, but not bought it off them. And I said, did you ever tell them you sold defibrillators as well? No, we just thought you should know. Absolutely. And that's the thing. We need to let people know what we do. We need to be able to position ourselves, pitch ourselves well. So when somebody's looking for something, they'll know that you are the person that will be able to help them solve their problem. Saying that is we've also got to stay front and centre. Yes, absolutely. How often do you hear of people that you've known quite well, they know what you do, But at the moment that they want to buy something, your name doesn't pop into their head. So Mm -hmm. they go off to Google, they find the one that comes first up on the list, and suddenly the sale is lost. I have seen that happen so many times. And it's so frustrating when 
It hasn't happened to me a lot in recent years, but originally when I first started working in my business, because as well as teaching sales, I teach people how to speak professionally. And what I found was that I had people that were going and investing in some other coach to do it, going, hang on, me over here. Oh, I thought you only did sales. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Because what we think we've told them and what we've told them is not often the same thing. No, no. And knowing how to put a pitch together that includes your offerings without being all technical and, you know, rambling off a whole lot of different products is a really, it's a good skill to have. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we don't want to come across as the car salesman, that icky, using your Mm. word, that slimy kind of person that's trying to push you something. But we've also got to remember that generally when we are in that interaction with a car salesman, we've actually walked in there. We've actually Mm. gone to that car lot and we are looking for a car. And yes, there's nice car salesmen and there's not so nice car salesmen, but we still got a problem and we still are looking for a solution. So Mm -hmm. if you can be the answer to that solution without doing all the icky push and pressure and all of the nasty things that come along with sales, then that's going to make it so much better for your life and your customers' lives as well. Definitely. Getting to know the customer's problem. When I'm running sales training, this is what we focus nearly half a day on because a lot of people think they know the problem, but that's not really the problem. Often, if particularly for people in a service-based industry, they have moved into their field because, I'll give you an example, somebody may have had different illnesses, goes to a kinesiologist, finds that, that works beautifully for them. Then they think, well, I'll train in this because I can help so many other people find the same relief that I found. So become a kinesiologist. Then forget what who they're selling to. They're selling to their old self. But it's hard to step back and see that until they really understand the processes to do it because yes. they've solved the problem now. Yes. And then so they're not selling to themselves, they're selling to their old selves. Yes. I've often heard it say that you're selling to yourself where you were five years ago. Yes. Yeah. It's what problem you had is now what problem that you can fix, particularly in service-based industries. Products are a little bit different, but it still is why did somebody get into business and how do you define, again, that customer's problems? What keeps them up at night? So what is their main problem and why do they have that problem? And why haven't they solved that problem already? Absolutely. And quite often they don't know what that problem is. So if you can articulate their problem in your sales copy and in your pitch, then that's half the the battle quite often because then they go, oh, yeah, that's actually what my issue is. And now you're the expert and you've got the solution. And being able to do that in a minimal amount of words (laughs) and really nail the point important part is even stepping back further and knowing who your customer is mm-hmm. and that is absolutely critical i'm finding people now when you say who your customer in a few years ago everyone would put up their hand and go well everyone and i know people have been poo-pooed enough doing that now they know that <laughs> i can't i'm not allowed to say that but i still don't know who my customer is you know? yes <laughs> and it's we know it's not everyone anyone might be able to buy your product but your customer isn't everyone. And if people continue to try and market and have a conversation to everyone, you will miss everyone. 
you yes. will miss the whole market. An example I will give you, I was working with a bookkeeper and we're helping her set up her LinkedIn profile. And I don't know, do you know how many bookkeepers are on LinkedIn? A lot. A I would lot. say a million. Yeah, there all are over the world. a lot of bookkeepers on LinkedIn. So how do you stand out? Well, I worked with her. She was an immigrant to Australia and worked with her to define her market. So she became a bookkeeper for newly arrived Australians to help them understand the BAS system. Perfect. How do you think her business went after that? It flowed. Absolutely. Oh, she got other business, not just newly arrived Australians who didn't understand the BAS system, yeah. but because she was so specific and so targeted with her client base, she couldn't deal with all the business that came in. I can imagine. And that's what we need to be able to do with our business. But people fear doing that or they find it difficult to really determine that because they don't want to miss out on other business. Absolutely. I've heard people say that you need to really niche it down. So you start off with that perfect example, a bookkeeper for small businesses, and then a bookkeeper for small businesses in a certain area, and then a bookkeeper for your newly arrived Australians in a certain area. And each time you're getting much, much tighter, but also each time now you are the expert for that particular person. So they're quite happy to pay more than they would have for an average bookkeeper because that was just an average bookkeeper where this lady is an expert because she targets newly arrived Australians in a particular area. So therefore, she must be far more valuable. That's a great example of that and understanding that i mean if we go to the gp if we have to pay for it it's not on medicare then it's about 60 dollars often to go to the gp but if we go to the heart special it's about a 300 hour appointment <laughs> it's exactly the same with you is becoming that expert in that field and so people go you know that's definitely who i'm going to deal because they will know more than another person who's doing a similar thing Yes, and it also becomes a thing of when you're going to the GP, you've got lots of slots available. You can basically pick and choose when you want to. When you go to the specialist, they tell you when you can come. You don't even often get a choice. It is next Monday at two o'clock or we don't have another appointment for six months. So the higher the expert is regarded, the harder it is to get into and the more money you pay. I hadn't thought about that, but that is exactly right, isn't it? It's making it more and more exclusive to what you do. Even for my offering for a business brainstorming session, you know, and I had it for free and I was doing some research, psychology research, and, and now put it's $20.22 because that's the year that we're, we're in because people put value on something that they have to pay for, even if it, it's a small amount. But what I was going to say with that is that I will invite people to come on if I'm doing my pitch, I will say that I've got three openings for that brainstorming session over the next two weeks. And if you're interested, have a chat to me and I'll invite you to come on mm -hmm. to that session. And it just changes it up a little bit. It gives it a little bit more sense of exclusivity, which it is because the our time's valuable. Absolutely. We won't be speaking to people that we can assist. And you're like me, probably. We help a lot of people, but we want to really help people who can go out and apply what we're offering to them yes so it can get very frustrating but you keep saying the same thing to same people <laughs> over and over and over and they go but yeah. my marketing's not working my business is not flourishing <laughs> did you do the last five things i told you 
oh, no, I ran out of time or I didn't do that. Well, how about you go back and do those and then we'll have another chat. Yeah, totally, totally agree. That point of knowing that customer base, knowing exactly who you're targeting and who you're having that conversation with. I've got three different demographics that I work Mm -hmm. with. I can't put out the same post on LinkedIn or the same marketing on LinkedIn as I can on Facebook because it's to two different markets. Yes. And it has to look different and it has to feel different. So even my description of what I do is different on those different platforms. Yes. And I love the I can talk to anybody type thing. And I say, okay, if you're selling baby clothes, would a parent of a teenage child really like those baby clothes turning up in the teenage child's feed? Now, you'd be starting to wonder why they were there. Had they clicked on something? Was it just cute? Or was there something you didn't quite know right now? (laughs) Oh, great great example on that. Whereas if you're putting that into the feed of 60-year-old women, you're going to get a lot more success because Nana's going to pay for those baby clothes if they look cute. Absolutely. So we definitely can't be talking to everybody, no matter what the product is. And we need to be very specific about where we're putting our money, particularly in sales and marketing, because like you say, there's just so many of everybody out there. There's very few people that are unicorns. So to stand out, you really do need to specialize and be that exclusive expert that people will pay proper money for. I work mostly with women and I tend to market women. I've got a women's podcast. I've got a women's mastermind group and that's all women. I work with men as well. Yes. But my conversations are usually with women, but I have men that, so you don't lose the business. No. Even if you focus on something, knowing who you want to really connect with and how you're going to connect with them again. So we we can identify problems better that way. Yes. If, if it's a broad range of things, then we find it really difficult to identify the problem. For my clients, the main problem is one, or there's a few problems. One is how do they get noticed? That's one problem. But because I work on the sales and speaking part of it, it's how do they overcome that fear of putting themselves out there is another big problem. And knowing those other problems, because I've asked my clients what their problems are or were before they started working with me. And the other thing I do is help people get real clear about their words and how they deliver their words. So then, you know, you tie those three together and then you find the main problem. But you know that those three are three different conversations that I could have. Once I've asked the right questions, that's an important factor, ask the right questions to be able to identify what that person's problem is Once you have an idea, well, it's probably only one of these three things, or it could be a combination of all of them. And then asking critical questions to get the critical open questions. So you get the answers that you want, and then you can lead into having a conversation that they're going to hear again, which doesn't become a push out sales conversation, but a peer offering hands up here, how I can help you conversation. Perfect. And I think there's quite a few things we can unpack there is one, talking to your existing clients and asking them exactly why they're attracted to you. And particularly if they've stayed with you for some time, why have they continued to do that? Definitely asking the open questions and not assuming. 
So yes, we want our customers to have choice, but when we're asking questions, no, we don't. We want to actually hear what they're saying, not what we think they're going to say. So that's very important. And then making sure that we are asking the right questions, just not the questions that we want the answers to because it's going to make us feel good. And remembering that negative feedback is actually very good and we want it from our customers so that we can fix it because we don't want them leaving because they don't think that we've cared or that we're interested in fixing their problems. And the best way to do that is to actually listen and and to use those listening powers in the ratio of how many ears and mouth that you have. Very important to do that. The And the last part of what you said then, I was something I was going to jump on and add on to that. I just finding out about what the customers have to say. Are the open and closed questions, in case people aren't sure what we're talking about here. An open question is where you get an extended answer. And usually they'll start with what, when, how, why type of question on it. If you don't know the person and you're trying to get information, if you ask too many why questions, it feels a bit like an interrogation. How softens everything down a little bit and when is a little bit more detailed into a time frame or or, and where is the same but the how does soften it where why is still necessary at some stage but if you're just meeting someone for the first time imagine that it feel like a police interrogation asking the why questions they give you big nice open answers and from those answers, you know, if someone says, look, I really like the idea of what you're doing, I'm not sure if I can afford it. Well, you then know that it's their perception of money, not necessarily that they can't afford it, but that's where you may be able to deal with that response or I'm not sure how this would suit me. Well, then you know how that's going to work with that response. I just don't know yet. Yes. A closed question is a yes and no, and you eventually have to ask a closed question to get your yes. Yes. A lot of people don't close off their sales conversations with a closed question because that's when they go, oh, I'm getting icky now. Mm-hmm. You build a relation with somebody, you've helped solve their problem, and that's when you need to ask that closed question. Absolutely. And the closed question at the end, whether it is yes or no, is perfect because maybe is an even worse icky feeling because you don't know whether they need more information, whether they didn't like it, whether they don't see the value in what you're offering. And I love where you said that the money part is just that they don't see the value in it right now, because it's never about the cost. If they see value in it, they're going to buy it. People buy minis and people buy Mercedes. They probably do very, very similar things, but a mini driver is never going to buy a Mercedes no matter what you give them and vice versa because it's all to do with the perceived value. So obviously in that instance, it's status, it's other things, not just the dollar value. And your product might be exactly the same. So whether you're going to shop at Walmart or whether you're going to shop at an exclusive place on Hollywood Boulevard or something, They probably sell similar things, but it is your perception of the status and the value that it's going to create. Mm, And how you have built up the status of your product in that conversation. Yes. Also, without talking it up, there's ways around to construct language around that. I was on a training thing earlier. I was asked to speak to a group and we're talking about, and the person has a 
product business and he was really quite direct and talked about people wanting to either get something cheap or get something quality and he Mm -hmm. lays it out straight away to them at the beginning. I said to him, oh, you could probably rephrase that and there's this presumptuous language that you're already putting somebody in a place where they're thinking really what you want them thinking, moving it. My example for that with him was Possibly you could say when you come, you know, if you think that the money, he was skilled enough to be able to identify who his prospect was. What I said to him to say was when we, I meet with clients, they usually sit in two camps. One is just all about price and just wanting the cheapest product in there. And the other person's looking for quality and value. In the end, which camp do you sit in? Perfect. And nobody's going to say, I just want crap. <laughs> the cheapest crap possible. Or very few people, unless they're being very cheeky. But it's usually people go, oh, yeah, I do want quality and value. Yes. And so yes. you've already moved them into a space where price isn't an issue there. And that's also making it aware for that person as well, so that you are bringing that elephant in the room to the forefront, but not doing it in an icky way. No. Oh, that's a whole new topic, elephant in the room. I do a whole presentation on that as well because we do, and this is part of, you know, what we're talking about solving problems and as opposed to selling, is we walk into a conversation, a guarantee, with a preconceived idea of our thoughts, what we think somebody else thinks. Yes. And unless we're all clairvoyants, you don't think you don't know. No. And even with so much experience, I you know, I had somebody the other day that signed up, you know, their business to do a whole lot of training. And if I'd met him at an expo or something, I'd be thinking, yeah, sure, tire kicker. You know, you don't have the staff, the business, the anything for it. If I was in that frame of trying to identify that. And so I would have gone into a conversation with him, with that guy, well, I'm wasting my time. And what happens? What we perceive, we project. Yes. And then we create. We do. So it wouldn't have gone as well as it went because there wasn't that me taking that preconception into that conversation. But we do. I am not as educated as somebody else is. My business isn't as big as somebody else is. I am just starting out. I am too young. I am too old. I, they're going to think it's too expensive. They don't have the money anyway. All of these types of things that we can take into our own little, we think they're going to think that. And I've worked with people in their you know 60s and 70s who are starting out and teaching social media. And they're fabulous at what they do, but that was their thing. I'm too old to do this. People are going to see me as too old. Well, not for the right audience, they're not. No. The other day I had somebody that she was just too young. She said, I'm a graphic artist starting out in business. They're going to think I'm too young. Not for the right audience, you're not. No. And a lot of that time, especially with things like that, they will actually see your work before they see you. So if they're already interested in your work, then that's going to take away some of those barriers to begin Mm. with. And the other thing that we often do is we assume that people can't afford us to whatever the product is or the price. So then we discount and then we find out that they could have actually paid three times or four times as much or they don't take the job because they think, well, there's no way you could possibly do it for that sort of money. So it mustn't be any good. That's a really good point about how we cost ourselves or cost our time or cost our products and discount. For me, if anyone books early into a workshop and I know I've got them filled, they're going to get a discount because they've helped me out. But that's about the only discounts I give away is that at that early bird space. What I do is I offer something extra yes. that is and often has 
high value but very little cost to me in time and effort and that is my way it's a great way of giving something extra so people feel i'd rather if i'm buying buying a new car rather than getting a hundred dollars off but if they said they're going to throw in all the floor mats that's a bonus to me if i go to the next place and they're not throwing in the floor mats they probably only cost you know they do cost more than a hundred dollars but let's say they cost a hundred dollars then that still is not going to have the same sort of balance as something that feels like a gift and it makes it not a economical transaction then it makes it more of a heartfelt transaction or a gift transaction which we tend to connect with a lot better if somebody comes to your house and they bring a bottle of wine you go oh thank you very much or if they bring a bottle of wine and they say oh, i shopped all around for this it's worth 60 bucks that's a different feel. Or if they bring come have to dinner at your place and they just give you $60. Yes. Yeah, that is so different, isn't it, than the gift part of it. And so that's a great tip what you were you know, saying, not discounting, but something you want to do is add something of value. Yes. I heard a really good one the other day where they were talking about discounting versus gifts. And they said even if it is a gift voucher, so instead of giving them a 25% discount, you give them a gift voucher of 25% of the value. So that does a couple of things. It, it's that exact thing about the energy of it being a gift and not mm. a discount. And it mm. also gets them to come back again. So mm. if they've got, say, a $25 gift voucher, they're more likely to buy something worth more than $25. So you're getting them back in the store. You're reminding them that you're top of mind. Mm. And it's a much better experience. Like That's what all the loyalty cards do, isn't it? Mm. Exactly that. They don't offer discounts on the products as you're going out the door, but the dollar value is calculated so next time you turn up, you know, you've got a $5 discount, do you want to spend it now type of thing? Or a free coffee or a, yeah. a whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Again, it's gifting something. We're a little off track of the topic, but it's, I think it all sort of it fits in of removing that sales aspect and having people buy and said, I have a, have a one-liner, you know, I said, I've been in sales for 40 years and I've never sold any, but plenty of people have bought things from me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it just gets a bit like that. Yeah, but it is. It's just making it really easy for people to buy things from you because you've solved their problem. Yes. Their problem is, you know, marketing that they're not being found or their problem is they don't know where to start with their marketing then you solve that problem for them rather than talking necessarily about you can talk about how you would do it a bit but it's not that even it's the feeling that they get when it is their problem solved yes and yeah. it's a journey from where they are now with that problem to mm -hmm. what it's going to be like when they don't have that problem anymore yeah Yes, and that's an important aspect. Now, talking about the three problems, then how does your product or process or, or service take them from the problems to the opposite of that, those three solutions solving each of those? And that's where you see people in service-based industries will have a five-step process or five components of something that will resolve that problem for them. And that makes a lot of sense to do that. Odd numbers work better in our brains. Yes. If anyone's setting up things like that. And five is the optimal. Three and seven work okay. If you start getting into nine, I think the most we can remember at a time is seven points. And But it's that what have you got to offer that takes somebody from their problem to the solution? And that is where they'll invest in you is that they want the result and how are you going to solve it for them? Yes. And yes, we did get a bit off topic, but I think the whole thing about the problem and making sure that we're allowing people to buy, 
not feel like they're being sold to. So this has been an absolutely wonderful podcast and you, like me, could speak on it for quite some time. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So is there anything that we haven't mentioned that we need to talk about the problem as opposed to just the sale? There's Look, there's a lot on that topic. I just want to remind people if they're at an event, a networking event, and they are pitching an idea or they're pitching their business, that they don't focus on, they focus on how their product helps somebody. If the pitch is around that, then you're going to connect with the right person in the room. Uh, But if you start talking about what your product does, then people, it becomes white noise and people are all all sitting there thinking about how they're going to do their pitch. So they just forget what you're you're saying anyway. It's got to be something that sparks them to go, oh, that's, yeah, that's a problem I have. That's great. They solve that. Fabulous. Okay. And at this stage at the podcast, Janine, I get to ask you five questions. Are you game? There we go. All right. What is the best advice given to you by a mentor? The best advice given to me by a mentor. It's really funny. It's off track. I was general manager of sales for a, a business and we were employing somebody to take over my reps role. And they hadn't in the past really trained anybody that well. They just said, here's the gear go out, here's the list, go out and sell. But we spent a lot of time training this person and after a couple of weeks, he realised it wasn't for him. I went, what a waste of time that was. And the mentor said to me, well, it could have been worse, he could have stayed. Absolutely. Yeah, and not be trained. Yes. What is the biggest help that you have received since starting your business? The biggest help, invest for me, I have invested in with some amazing coaches over the years and you can't go it alone absolutely can't go it alone and now I'm able to mentor other people and help with them and because it's we need to deal with experts but the thing is throughout your business what I used to do is at the start of each year work, figure out what I wanted to improve professionally and personally for the year and then I'd go right now I need to find the person to do that I, that would definitely be my answer to that. So very true. Standing at the bottom of a tree looking up, you can't see the whole forest. What is the one thing that you have to do every day, your non-negotiable? My non-negotiable, move the body. Yeah. So it's a couple of hours later here when we're having this conversation and I will head out in about an hour and a half and go for a walk and on stretches today. So moving the body. Perfect. What is your favourite business book and why? Oh, I can't tell you a favourite because I just read so many of them and I don't know can't remember the authors of them. I've just read one, Unpredictably Irrational, which I absolutely love. But if I had to pick a favourite, I think it was written in the 1950s, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. That is our most popular answer. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. But I've I've got shelves full of books and and a phone full of audio books that I listen to daily and that would be the other thing. Read books. Yes. Or listen to them if you are challenged or don't have the time. Yeah, I have a book going 100% of the time in the car. Yep. All my walks and on my walks. (laughs) What do you wish you had known when you started out? There's probably a lot of things that I had wish I had known. It's changed so much from when I first started in business. I mean, the technology is ridiculous, the changes that we've had through, and I think keeping up with that is something we just have to do. You can't say no to it. If I had a magic pill that would instantly give me all that information, (laughs) that I can do all that IT stuff as well, then that would probably be the things, not necessarily I wish I'd known, but 
make that a little bit easier when I'm working in business. Fantastic. So thank you very much for your time, Janine. And if our SPT audience would like to know more about you or look you up, where's the best place to find you? To go to my website's the best way is janinevosper.com. If anyone wants to have a conversation with me, a brainstorming session, you can book on there. I host the We Are Women podcast. And even though it says it's for women, I interview very clever women who add a lot of a lot of value to it, but you know, there's some men that listen to it as well. And I've written a couple of books. You'll find everything on my website. That's the easiest way. And LinkedIn. Say hi on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. And we will drop both of those on the show notes for everybody. So do you need to have one final word, Janine? Oh, that's a very dangerous question. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. I've been married for 40 something years and if you ask my husband that he would just sort of cut you off straight away <laughs> uh, it's been great I've, I've really enjoyed it thank you for the opportunity just to share my knowledge with your audience you were very welcome and maybe we'll have to have you back sometime in the future so that we can have some more discussions on the elephant in the room and maybe some other topics as well lovely thank you so much Janine and SBT audience remember to enjoy your journey don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.